morning. Welcome to Medway Community Church. Christ is risen. Man, I'm so glad to welcome all of you, uh, particularly guests, new guests. We're so glad uh, that you're joining with us this morning. Um, Thank you for being here. Uh, I want you to know uh, that MCC, we have at the center of our vision as a church to be a community of grace making disciples of Christ. And so that means uh, that we very, very much want this to be a safe, no-pressure kind of place um, uh, for you. Uh, This is the kind of place where today, next month, in the years ahead, uh, we want this to be a church where we can ask honest questions and get, over time, honest answers. Um, If you look around, I think you'll find we clean up pretty good for Easter. But honestly, this is a place of vulnerability, transparency, doubt, confidence, messiness. We're we're all of that. Um, Since you're willing to listen to me preach for the next half hour uh, or so, hopefully, (laughs) uh, here's a couple data points. Uh, My name is Travis. I've served as senior pastor here since 2010. Uh, Male pattern balding began in college. So I just, I just surrendered somewhere in my early 30s there. Um, my wife and I, we have four daughters. I am far from the perfect uh, father, perfect pastor, perfect friend. Um, but here is at least one way. I'm kind of an awesome husband, actually. <laughs> because, and, and humble as well. Because I grew up on almost entirely frozen foods for dinner. My mom, who now lives in Texas, um, very, very grateful for her, uh, but she did not have what we might call the spiritual gift of cooking. <laughs> so that meant that dinner was invariably uh, Chef Boyardee, it was Stouffer's, Hot Pockets, Swanson, um, Hungry Man, <laughs> love the Hungry Man, uh, which means that when I met this gorgeous smart, funny woman named Sarah, who also cooked spaghetti in a pot? (laughs) I was like, this is greater than that. My entire childhood, you know, if we wanted a cheesecake, we would go to the frozen food aisle and we would get Sarah Lee's. And then I had Sarah Bond's. This is greater than that. So essentially, I love everything that Sarah cooks because I recognize, I can remember, and I recognize this is such an upgrade. Uh, Often, when we think of an upgrade, this is what we think of, right? By the way, I have no idea why I selected a graphic with German. (laughs) 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 We're multilingual today, it's wonderful. But when we think of an upgrade, this is what we think of, right? Something that we click, um, probably it'll take some time, might inconvenience me, might create an error message, probably will create an error message, may improve things, or it might just brick my phone. And I want to suggest that oftentimes when we bring ourselves into the church, we, we kind of consciously or subconsciously wonder if Jesus isn't the same sort of thing. Sold is an upgrade, religion is something to do. It's going to take some time, probably will inconvenience me, may cause some error messages, Jesus might improve my life, or he might actually just brick my life. If you've been coming here 
for a few years on Easter or if you're a regular here at MCC. Uh, Typically, on Easter, we preach on the Easter event, which is the resurrection, Christ rising from the grave. That is time very well spent, and we're certainly not skipping over that today. Um, But I do want to come at it a little bit differently. I'm not going to try and be clever this morning because I'm not particularly clever. I'm not going to try and be fancy uh, with you this morning. I simply want to present to you, if I may, who Jesus is on his own terms. And interestingly, (laughs) not unlike Stouffer's lasagna and iOS updates, Jesus actually himself speaks in terms of comparisons and upgrades. Let me show you what I mean. If you would, open in your Bibles to the book, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Uh, If you don't know your Bible at all, if you don't have a Bible, you might want to grab one of the black ones. This is on page 816, and it'll help to follow along. Page 816. Matthew is one of four Gospels, um, God-inspired biographies of Jesus. Uh, In the text that we're going to read this morning, Jesus is interacting with some very difficult uh, gotcha type folks that are called the scribes and the Pharisees, and in Jesus' reply to them, I want you to listen for three comparisons. So Matthew 12, we're going to start at verse 1. Hear now the very word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And then if you drop down to verse 5, Jesus said, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And then if you drop your eyes all the way down to verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Thus ends the reading of God's word. And if you keep your Bibles open, what I want to do is I want to spend, uh, this is how I want to spend the balance of our time. I want to introduce you for a couple of minutes to this group called the Pharisees, and then I want to pivot and introduce you to Jesus. And I want to do that by way of um, looking at these three comparisons that Jesus makes to one thing and two people. Okay, that's the comparisons to one thing and two people. Um, If you'd like to jot down some notes, we lined this out in the program that you received at the door when you came in. First off, introducing the Pharisees. Who are these guys? Verse two, verse 38, they first show up in both of those. If you've been in church world for a while, we tend to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. Um, They were quite difficult. Uh, I think really judgmental, really rulesy. This was a hyper-educated, hyper-religious sect 
within Jewish society, um, extremely zealous to follow the law, or at least extremely zealous to make sure that other people followed the law. And ultimately, they did a lot of damage to a lot of people. Okay. Um, This is a book that I'm reading right now. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. Um, Also, as a footnote, um, if you lead a team or an organization, uh, this is excellent. At least for me, um, it is uh, hitting the heart um, in some really uncomfortable spots. Um, It reads like a story. It's uh, crafted kind of like a novel. It's a conversation between some folks in the corporate world. Anyway, in this book, it talks about a real-life doctor. His name was Ignaz Semmelweis. Anybody know that name at all? Yes, I did not. I had not heard of this guy either. Real-life person, mid-1800s, European obstetrician. He worked at a teaching hospital with a horrendous mortality rate among women in the maternity ward. In his section alone, the mortality rate was one in Ten. Women would choose to give birth on the street and then go to the hospital because of the reputation of this place. Um, the symptoms that were associated with all of these deaths, they became known collectively as uh, it was called childbed fever. Uh, in medical science at the time, it treated each symptom uh, diff- uh, separately, right? Um, uh, so you know, if you had inflammation, they would bleed you or apply leeches. Um, if you had a fever, largely the same approach. Um, if they labored breathing, then it meant, must mean that the air was bad, and so they would try and improve ventilation. Nothing worked. More than half the women who contracted childbed fever died within a few days. Mothers were frequently seen kneeling and wringing their hands, begging to be moved to the other section of the maternity ward where the death rate was only one in 50. So this guy, Samelweis, he became like kind of obsessed with you know, why the difference in mortality rate between the two sections because the only difference between them was that his section, the one in 10, was um, overseen by doctors and the other section, one in 50, was overseen by midwives. And so what they did was they chose to standardize everything, uh, birthing positions, uh, ventilation, diet, even how the laundry was done, and nothing made a difference. Until Samelweis went away for four months to do teaching at a different hospital. And when he came back, what he found was that the death rate had dropped significantly. Remember, I told you it was a teaching hospital. And what that meant was that doctors split their time between live patients and cadavers. And when Samuelweiss compared his time to the time of all the doctors who served in his absence, the only difference is that he spent a lot more time doing research on cadavers. And he took all of that data together and he hypothesized that the, the, the childbed fever, um, that what it was caused by was, in his language, particles 
that might be transferred from cadavers or other diseased patients to healthy patients. And this became the forerunner in medical history for contemporary germ theory. So guess what they did? They started washing their hands. He, he required all of the doctors and all of the midwives to wash their hands in a, uh, it was a lime and chlorine light solution before they could examine any patient, and the death rate immediately plummeted to one in a hundred. And we think God only knows the number of patients who went to their graves early because the doctors were the carriers and they never knew it. The doctors were the carriers and they were blind to it. That's who the Pharisees were. They had a system of law and rules and regulations they thought would make everyone else spiritually clean, but it was actually killing the patients. And it's as true today as it was then. Doing stuff and more rules cannot clean the soul. In fact, if I can be quite blunt, some of us were sitting here in church today thinking, I cannot believe I darkened the doors of a church today because we were so burned in our childhood. We were so burned in our young adulthood by churches and religion that said, do better, work harder. That's what it's all about. And so in Matthew 12, how does Jesus respond to this? He says to the Pharisees, well, he doesn't beat around the bush. He goes right at the heart of their religious history and practice. He says, hey, you love the grandeur and the splendor of the temple, but something greater than the temple is here. You love the story of Jonah, but something better than Jonah is here. He says, you love the wealth and the wisdom of King Solomon, but something greater than Solomon is here. So if that's the three comparisons, you know, the, the upgrades, what, what do they mean? Well, first off, the temple. Um, I cannot overstate the religious significance of this building in first century Jewish culture. Um, first off, just, just physically, it was meant to be this, this massive, awe-inspiring, visible reminder of God's presence and his glory. It took 183,000 workers seven years to build the temple. Total cost in 2018 cash, get this, $3.6 billion. FYI, the new Raiders stadium in Las Vegas, $1.8 billion. You could build two of these for one temple complex. Why was the Jewish temple so expensive? Glad you asked. It wasn't just the size, which was enormous. It was what was inside. 25 tons of gold. 50,000 pounds of gold. Which means, when Jesus is declaring that he is greater than the temple, well, that means something. But actually, financial cost was not his main point. See, the temple is where the priests worked. They functioned as like go-betweens, mediators between the people and between God. So you know, just for simplicity's sake, 
It's like you would, you'd go up to the temple, you'd knock on the door, priest would, would open it up, and you'd give your gift, your sacrifice to him and say, will you give this to God for me? That was kind of how the system worked. And then that, that gift, fancy word, propitiation or atonement, um, that would be an atonement for your sin or your family's sin. And then once a year, the high priest, just once a year, he would go into that back room there, which was separated by this enormous ceiling to floor, very, very thick curtain. And he would go into that place, it's called the Holy of Holies, and in there was an Ark of the Covenant, uh, think chest, um, covered in gold, with carved um, angels, seraphim, on the top, and they have these outstretched wings that are almost touching, you know, as if to shield their eyes from the glory of God, and they're stretched out over, underneath, um, on the top of the chest, is what's called a mercy seat, or a propitiatorium, same word, propitiation. And that's where the high priest would, would like, sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice, the gift, as an atonement for all of the nation, all of the people, and it had to be done year after year after year. And so can, can, you, can you appreciate century after century of this embedded into the culture, and now Jesus is standing before the Pharisees, the, the, the self-appointed guardians of religious behavior, who like Samuel vice. You know, in the maternity ward, their, their, their hands were filthy, but they're oblivious to it. And Jesus is declaring to them, a greater than the temple is here. And then a few chapters later, of course, we know the story. It'll be Good Friday. And Jesus will stretch out his arms on a cross and he will be the propitiation for the sins of all time, for all who will believe. And you remember in that moment, that temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, the the barrier, the separation between man and God, it's ripped down. We don't need a mediator. You don't need a priest. You don't have a pastor who stands between you and God. Our only mediator is Christ himself who stands there as our atonement. That's what Jesus meant. (laughs) When he said this, who is Jesus? When his own words, Jesus is greater than the temple. And then the next one on your outline, Jesus is greater than Jonah. And for our our new guest, you should probably know um, that this is both our Easter sermon. It's also kind of a conclusion to a sermon series that we just spent a few weeks on through this Old Testament. Old Testament is your first uh, first half of the Bible. uh, Through this Old Testament book called Jonah. Um, If you don't know the story, Jonah was a renegade prophet. Um, He was given an assignment by God that he did not like to go to a people that he did not like to share a message that he did not like. Um, He didn't want to do any of that. He tried to flee. He ends up getting pitched over the side of the boat, um, and then God does this big Old Testament miracle where he miraculously keeps him alive underwater in the belly of a whale for three days, finally gets vomited out, finally goes to Nineveh, the people he was supposed to go to in the first place, um, and the whole city repents, you know, revival breaks out, and the entire book totals just four chapters, and the whole experience is meant to display how God delights to show mercy, that God 
loves to show compassion even on Nineveh. And if you don't know Nineveh, like these were horrible people. This was like the ISIS and Al-Qaeda of their day. And God transformed him. Pause button. That alone should be enough to convince us, my friends. And no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, God's grace stretches even to you. Even to me. (laughs) In one of the other gospels, um, John In chapter 6, it says this, For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God had done amazing things through Jonah, but Jonah was reluctant. He didn't want to preach grace. Jonah just preached judgment and condemnation. And now Jesus is saying to these Pharisees in verse 40 that a greater than Jonah is here. He spent three days in a fish. I'm going to spend three days in a grave. He offered condemnation. I offer resurrection. So if you're new to the church, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to the person of Jesus, who is Jesus? (laughs) Well, in his own words, Jesus is greater than the temple. That's the old priestly system. Jesus is greater than Jonah. That's the prophet system. And Jesus is greater than Solomon. That's the kingly system. Jesus, that's the last one. Jesus is greater than Solomon. That's the last claim if you look at verse 42, which may have been the boldest of all three of his comparisons. But you got to know who Solomon was. Solomon, um, he was son of the great King David. He ruled at probably the only time in Israel's history when it could legitimately be called a superpower. Um, So he was wildly successful, but really we know Solomon today for three main reasons, because of women, and because of wisdom, and because of wealth. Uh, Women, he had a thousand of them, (laughs) 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if you're a sixth grader and you're wondering, what is a concubine? (laughs) You can look that up later with mom and dad. So we know him for his women. We know him for his wisdom. Uh, He wrote like 3,000 proverbs, um, think little wisdom nuggets, and 1,000 songs. We know him for women, wisdom, and wealth. Solomon received about a billion dollars in today cash per year in tribute. Wildly successful. So much so that in the Old Testament, uh, there's this narrative about uh, the queen of Sheba, um, whose visit to Solomon, that's what's depicted in this, this is a famous Italian painting here. Um, Sheba, by the way, encompassed modern day Yemen and Ethiopia. Um, So in 1 Kings 10, it says this, um, you don't have to turn there, but just, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe those things until I saw and came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. Folks, can you imagine this man's life? Every Jewish guy wanted to be, daydreamed about being King Solomon. 
more women than he could ever want, more money than he could ever spend, so much wisdom that whenever he walked in the room, he was the smartest guy in the room. In fact, he wrote three books of our Bible. Um, The first one he wrote was about women. It's called Song of Solomon. Second one he wrote was about wisdom. It's called Proverbs. Third book he wrote was about wealth. It's called Ecclesiastes. And if you read through Ecclesiastes, we preached through it a few years ago, it really reads like a journal, like a personal diary. And what it sounds like is Mick Jagger. (laughs) I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) The whole book despite all that this world has to offer, there's something in his soul that still longs for more. For what? Well, Jesus. Jesus answers the cry of your soul. And who is Jesus? Well, if the, if the if Israelites were alive today, they would tell you, that Jesus is greater than the temple. I mean, the, they had a building where they went to meet with God. We have a savior who brings God to us. If, if the Ninevites were sitting in these pews today, they would tell you that Jesus is greater than Jonah because Jonah preached wrath and condemnation and Jesus preaches mercy and grace. If the queen of Sheba walked in these doors today, she would tell you that Jesus is greater than Solomon. He offers satisfaction that this world, it can never give. And how do we know it's all true? Because he rose? Because the tomb was empty? The, The empty tomb, it validates Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus promised, that Jesus is greater than sin, death, grave. Jesus is greater than your hurting marriage, your broken bank account, your failing career, your wayward kid. Jesus is greater than your pride and your stubbornness and your secret and your shame. Jesus is life. So listen. If you're just beginning to explore this stuff, maybe even, I mean, today is like the first time in a long time, wherever, that you've opened up a Bible, I, I, I want to leave you with this. I want to welcome you back whenever you're ready. You know, there's absolutely no pressure, but you are welcome back when you are ready. Um, and I also can say if a, if a member of MCC invited you today, I can guarantee they would love nothing more than to dialogue with you about what it has meant to them and their family to connect with God. And then if I can offer, also offer a word, um, maybe to those who have been hanging around for a while, and you know the Bible stories, and you know about God, but you still haven't taken that step of faith? You know, like, like Dr. Samuelweiss, you've got the sneaking suspicion that your hands are filthy, but you haven't been willing to receive the solution. Um, 
For you, for us, I want to offer this. uh, The strangest Supreme Court case in our nation's history. This is where we finish. 1829. Two men, George Wilson, James Porter, they robbed a United States mail carrier. Both of them were subsequently captured. They were tried in a court of law. They were found guilty of multiple charges, and they were sentenced to execution by hanging. Porter was executed on schedule, but this guy, George Wilson, he had some good friends. He had some loud friends in high places, and they petitioned the president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, to pardon him, and Jackson did, granted him a formal pardon. Wilson, however, refused it. He refused the pardon that could save his life. So it went to the Supreme Court. They were asked to rule. And in their final decision, here's what they said. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, yet delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if the pardon is rejected, we have discovered no reason to force it upon him. (laughs) Friends, the amazing grace of the gospel is that Jesus pardons all who rest on him. So let this Easter morning, if you never have, let this be the day that you receive Christ, that you throw off your chains because he's, who is Jesus? He's greater than the temple. He's greater than Jonah. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than all of it. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.